What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. I'm Lorenzo Gomez. I'm the co-founder of Geekdom Media, and we are super proud to produce this first episode of Miss Education. Jen Maestas, tell us your education journey. My grandfather was born in San Antonio. I grew up in San Antonio. Uh, he traveled the world because he was a cotton picker, so they migrated where the cotton was, he and his mother and his sister. And later in life, he decided in high school that he did not want to um, continue that kind of work, and he, he knew that the way to stop doing that was to get an education. It was the reason that he pushed his six children to go to school and finish school and get a college education. And that story, those stories, they always stuck with me um, because I, I, I felt really that education is a great equalizer. Like it's, it's a motivator, but it also equalizes what you're doing in your life, right? And who you're competing with. Without it, you, you're at a disadvantage. So when I um, decided to become an educator, I really thought hard about where I wanted to do that. And I felt like the best place for me personally was the inner city um, because it's kind of where I grew up and it's where equity needs to happen. And so I became an inner city urban educator and I taught fifth grade for seven years. And when I was done teaching fifth grade, I decided that I wanted to work on curriculum. So I did that for a few years. And then I became um, an assistant principal and then a principal. So I was an elementary school principal full-time for five years. And I recently decided that I was going to do that part-time because I also have a four-year-old and two teenage boys and a husband and a dog and a cat and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So I decided <laughs> to do that part-time for a minute. When I stopped being a full-time principal, I was working with my husband, Carlos. Uh, we own a video storytelling company, and we work with a lot of nonprofits, and most of them are somehow affiliated with education. And I started to realize that there are so many conversations about education that are happening in San Antonio that are also occurring during the school day. So teachers aren't in those conversations necessarily unless they've chosen to take a day off, unless they've called in for a sub or their principal has asked them to go to those meetings. There are, you know, pre-K forums, there are education forums that are happening on a regular weekday during the week when everybody else is in school. Sometimes principals are, are there. Usually administrators are at those things because their school is being represented somehow or honored somehow, and that's the reason they're there. They're not necessarily there to actually participate in the conversation. So I just started realizing that a lot of that was happening. And 
I started putting together some of the things that I experienced in school that I would now call misconceptions, although I didn't think they were misconceptions at the time that I was principling. I just started thinking, you know, there's a lot of things happening in San Antonio that are impacting education, but all of those conversations and decision-making processes don't necessarily have a teacher or an administrator sitting in on that conversation. So when you talked to me about podcasting, I thought that's a perfect way to just bring awareness to anyone who tunes in about what's happening in the educational landscape of San Antonio. So give us a little taste, you know, here in episode zero, what are some of the topics that you want to cover in, uh, on, on miseducation? I would love to just do a hot topics thing. I think there are so many really cool things to talk about in terms of education, stuff that people get really heated about. Yeah. And I I sort of, I mean, Carlos, my husband would tell you, like, I like to pick. I like to pick at it. (laughs) Yes. Well, well, give us a, so one of the, because I'm going to get my popcorn ready. And actually, I think as your producer, we're going to have to get you a bulletproof vest. Okay. Well, that, okay. So school safety. Yes. Great lead in. Right. So school safety, I just think there are so many opinions about it and there are, and it, and we got to figure it out. Right. Like, it's just one of those things you, we got to figure it out. So I would love to talk about arming teachers. Oh, we're going to talk about it. We should. More armed officers on campus, metal detectors. Those are kinds of conversations that I feel like if you asked a group of teachers, right? you'd have some really good answers right. <laughs> colorful very, very colorful answers very colorful answers so i think that's a good i want to talk about that i also want to talk about school reform i think we should maybe try to define it if we can mm-hmm. even if it's in broad terms to define what is school reform um you know it's not just changing what we do just because like there right. are there's so much thought happening about what needs to be different, what could be different, what should be different. So things like a school autonomy, accountability, having some accountability or even pay for performance. Yes. Um, diversity of design. I mean, these are, these are conversations that are super education jargon, but that's what makes it hard to understand when you're sitting on the other right. side, you're not an educator and you're throwing words around like school design. Oh, the first time I heard a guy say pedagogy, but he said it, he didn't say it. He said it like six times in the same <laughs> sentence. He's like, well, we got to talk about pedagogy. He's like, well, you know, pedagogy. And I was like, I can't Google that word fast enough. And I'm not sure I spelled it right. But you're right. It creates, it makes you very intimidated if you're not in the industry. Totally. Totally. And everyone, everyone who is in the industry has a really specific perspective, depending on their experience. Mm. And I feel like if you don't talk about your experience and you don't listen to anybody else's experience, then you're always going to be bumping heads yeah. over what that definition is because it really, truly depends on your experience. So let me ask this. When we think about the audience that you want to tune into miseducation, is it, you know, parents that want it, you know, you want the parents more informed and all these different things, teachers to plugged in, like you said, plugged into those conversations that are happening while they're in the classroom is it for the nonprofit, you know industry people you know or is it you you plan you're gonna invite them all in i think it's for everybody i think it's all of those things and maybe even a few that we didn't talk about you know it's 
I really do think that it is about teachers knowing what's happening and feeling empowered to have a conversation about it and reaching out to other educators that may be doing things a little bit differently than they're doing, that may have a different brand of what good schools look like and having those conversations because I think that we can all learn. You know, there are some some really good things about well-established ISDs. They're great at systemic things. They have the big systems in place. But some right. of those big systems, they're old systems. So they're still operating like it's the 19th century or the 20th century. And we're not we're not in that system anymore. Right. We're trying to focus on 21st century. And that's where I think charter schools have it. They have a different perspective because they're new. Right. They came into being right now. Right. So where we could learn from each other is, okay, you, you guys have some great innovative ideas, but we have big systems in place. So how do you marry those two things? How do you make it work better everywhere? Right. Not just in one situation. And that's what miseducation is about. I mean, it's about making sure that you know what's happening in the city and you have a voice that can speak to what's happening in the city. If you don't know what's happening, then you don't know what questions to ask. You don't know what conversations to have. Right. When did it become like really real for you? Um, what it is that educators do in San Antonio and all the different things that are happening around education in San Antonio? I think that what when it really hit home for me, you know, so from the Geek the Media standpoint, why why did I get interested in helping produce a podcast on education? And I think it came from my time serving as the as the executive director of the 8020 Foundation. And we in about 7 years gave away millions of dollars to education related nonprofits. And it had never occurred to me until you mentioned it. This notion that all this policy and all these things and all these grants happen and there's no teachers (laughs) and i just thought wow and i felt i felt a little silly about it because i thought you know i have definitely participated in that and it really changed the frame for me uh, which made me more passionate about wanting to do this because you cannot have the people doing the work not involved in these big multi-million dollar decisions that are happening i mean it's just crazy yeah and it's not that they don't want to be involved it's just that that it's not on their forefront, it's not on the radar right. all the time because you are so busy doing the work of school right. that you you just don't even know that it's happening most of the time. If you knew it was happening, you'd be there. You'd make right. the time. Most right. of the time, you'd make the time. But sometimes you're so busy, engrossed in the work that you either don't have the time or you don't even know to make the time. So tell, tell us the story. Um, you know, you told me once that, that well, actually, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when the penny dropped about how, oh my gosh, I used to have access to decision makers and now I don't. Well, tell us that story. I think what happened for me personally is that I, I kind of grew up in SAISD. It was the first full-time job that I had after going to college. So my leaders knew me really well and they sort of groomed me. And then over time, those leaders that were older than I was and more experienced than I was moved on in their own careers. And rightfully so, but they weren't there anymore. And the new people that are leaders don't know me the same way. I think over time we got to know each other, but for a minute I started to feel like they don't know what I can do or what I have done. And I I felt like I was losing a little bit of a connection to like this direct line of power, I guess, Mm -hmm. where they 
in the past, my leaders knew who I was and I could, I knew who they were and I could just call them and say, hey, you know that thing we talked about in the meeting? I'm sort of feeling this way about it. Is it okay if I do blah, blah, blah? Right. But I didn't have that anymore and I started to realize how important it was and I started also to feel a disconnect when that went away. And so after I left, I mean, that's not why I left. I left for other personal reasons, but I, I started feeling like, man, what if there was a place where that still happened, where people could still network in that way? And maybe it's not so formal. And so I started really thinking about how I could accomplish something like that for the colleagues that I still had, because I'm still connected. I still I still do administrate Um, I do it part-time which is really cool I didn't really realize (laughs) that I could do that but what I do is I fill in for principals and assistant principals when they go on a leave of absence I didn't even know that was a thing I I, I should have known it was a thing because when I had a lease my daughter I I went on a leave and someone filled in for me um, while I was on that leave so I should have known but it never occurred to me Um, but that's what I do now so now I have the opportunity to bring people together and, and keep that connection strong and and sort of formulate a plan for how to put leaders and teachers in the same place at the same time and then through the podcast just keep everybody informed as the kids would say that's so dope (laughs) such a dope concept sorry i want to switch to talk about san antonio and before i ask your opinion which is the only one that really matters on miseducation So I have a, you know, seven years of philanthropic experience, you know, nonprofit world. And one of the, one of the things that led me to want to do this show with you or, or help with the show, um, is that I noticed there is a lot of quote unquote stuff happening in education. I mean, I remember if you look at the various categories of nonprofits, education to me just is just head and shoulders way there's just way more nonprofits in education than any other category of nonprofits that I've ever worked with I mean it's insane you've got city year and teach mm-hmm. for America and the SAISD foundation all the charter schools they're all nonprofits right. right all the universities they're all nonprofits and I just thought to myself wow I mean there is a fulfilling gajillion dollars going into this industry and uh, when I looked around I realized you know I started reading some books so I could I, I wanted to feel not like a moron in this space and the more i read the more i realized man this is a whole other universe and but i did get this sense that there's just so much happening in san antonio and i don't know if it's because historically we were a very poor uh city and that we're very socioeconomically disadvantaged because you think well every city has a poor section but i you know i really think that what is happening here in education is really special and when I compare it to other cities, I don't think there's anything like it going on. I mean, there's a couple places. What are your thoughts on that? I think that you're exactly right. And there are plenty of people in San Antonio who are willing to talk about what an economically segregated city we actually live in. Mm-hmm. And that that's probably like a whole other conversation. But it's, it's very yeah. real and it's very real to me. And I think I felt it the most when I switched from a school that was on the northern part of my school district to a school three miles away that was in the urban core of the city. But geographically, it was three miles away. We're not talking across yeah. town. It's three miles away. Isn't that one of the poorest it zip codes the in the poorest, city? Yeah. Di- it's the poorest zip code in Bear County. I wow. mean, it's... It, and it's been that way. It's been that way for five decades. Nothing about that. Ha- the economic status has yeah. really changed. Even though there's been lots of revitalization downtown, it hasn't 
Yeah, and to my point, lots of money getting invested in this quote unquote industry, but yet you're at the you know at the poor in the poorest zip code there is in town, and uh, and you're not feeling the effect of that. No, right? we're still operating in a building that is fairly old, uh, with furniture that is also fairly old. <laughs> um, yeah, with kids that are coming to school and haven't eaten. Totally, but that. That's not to say we don't have great resources because right. we do. We have great resources. We have we have the books that we need and the supplies that we need and the programs that need to be running. But I felt like our school was really like an oasis in that, right? Mm. Well, you can come to school and get the things that you need. We had healthcare providers that would come to the school. We have great programming, but the community around us is severely lacking. There's right. there's so, you know, these conversations about education reform, they're always very interesting to me because I would think it's not just the education that's got to get reformed. It's the city, the community around that school yeah. has to get reformed because we can't do all of the things that everybody needs all of the time. It's a, we're, we're a little sliver of the pie for that community. Um, it's got to be a lot bigger. So, So what do you think? I mean, is my, you know, as just as coming from the funding background, is there any merit to this notion that there is just, I don't want to say an obscene, but there's, uh, to me, I feel like San Antonio is kind of going through a moment where there's a lot of eyeballs and a lot of support on it. Is that true or is that happening everywhere? Well, I, don't, I don't know that it's happening everywhere. I think it's happening probably a lot of places, but I do think it's very city centric. And I, you know, lots of focus is on major metropolitan cities, San Antonio being one of them. Um, I think that there are some cities that we could probably model San Antonio's education reform after. And I think that's kind of what's happening. Um, so I don't think that it's isolated to San Antonio. I think San Antonio is a great example because we're sort of on the cusp of everything. We have a ton of stuff happening all at the same time. We have vested interest in the education nonprofits. And I did some research on that too. There's like 5,000 education nonprofits in the state of Texas and like over 400 of them are here in San Antonio. That's so crazy. It's, it's a lot of the For time. those of you that, that heard me say I'm a funder, I'm not a funder. So uh, <laughs> we, we actually, we don't have any more money. Neither so don't ask. <laughs> Miseducation also, no, yeah, very. No, yeah. We got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah there's no surplus here no so go to, go to walton there's tons of money being pumped into the educational landscape in san antonio we have some really really amazing work that's being done and research that's being done and reform initiatives that are being tried out um and are experiencing great success and the thing about that is that we also have tons of teachers and educators yeah it's a massive amount of, of professionals that are working in the education industry. And my fear, this is only from my experience, is that you, there's no way you can stay on top of knowing all of the things that are happening right. in the educational landscape. There's just, it's not possible because you kind of get tunnel vision as soon as the school year starts where you are really thinking about your school and what's happening in your building. And there's no way you can keep up with all the other 400 things right. that are happening in the city that are impacting what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I couldn't keep up with it and I don't I I don't have any kids to teach. <laughs> you yeah. know, and so even as a even as a quote-unquote nonprofit professional, it, it felt overwhelming. And I I also feel like there's this notion that everybody's everybody's one slice of the education pie becomes their religion. Totally. And they get so, you know, they get just so like a dog with a bone and if you're not if you don't subscribe to that fix 
or that methodology, then you just don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And it's very intimidating for people like me, which is why I'm so happy to have a professional, right, walk us through this on this podcast because I, I don't know what to, I don't know what they mean. Sometimes I don't know what they mean. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I've been in education for 18 years. I just finished my 18th year as an educator in San Antonio. And there are tons of times where somebody will come up to me and ask me, did you know, are you going to, have you heard? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Tell me more. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's like I said, there's no way you can keep up with all of it. And you do sometimes have this, you develop this doctrine or this dogma of an unspirit, like a spirit of unwelcomed yeah. competition where you're on the wrong side of the fence if you're not an ISD or vice versa, right. you know? And so, or the notion of what's a public school and what's not a public school and whose kids are they really, you know? Right. Those, are the, those are the conversations that people start having uh, in isolation with just with each other and then you then you sort of have like this awkwardness when you meet somebody <laughs> that you really like and you listen to the work that they're doing and you're like man that's so cool but too bad you play for that other the team, team over yeah. there you know so those people those people and that's the thing that i i really when i stopped doing the work full-time and i had a little bit more time to network and get to know other people that i started realizing why are we in competition right. like we're, there's we should be completing the landscape not competing in the landscape because all of the kids that we teach are san antonio kids and they all need and deserve a great education and it shouldn't look the same for everybody because we're not all the same people we're not all the same right so you mentioned a bunch of really amazing or alluded to a bunch of amazing topics, charters, public versus not public or really and actually really defining things like, well, actually, what you think public is is not really what, you, what it actually is. Um, I remember we were having you and I were having coffee and you were you were telling me some of your stories. And there were a couple of stories where I was like, oh, my gosh. I would listen to Jen's podcast, which is why I'm so happy that you're that you're finally doing it. I'll tell you a story for me where it really hit home or where it all became very visible to me was when Julian Castro was our mayor, actually right after he left and he gave the keynote for the Democratic National Convention, there was a startup out of California that emailed him and they did computer, they did um they did programming for high school kids in this super cool, easy to use web thing. And they sent it to Julian Castro's education advisor, a woman named Jean Russell, who I'm sure at some point will be on your show. She's amazing. And she sent it to me. She said, Hey, you know, can you do anything with this? And I, and so I looked it up and it was super cool. And so I, I then made the mistake that everybody makes now that I've hear, heard from your side of the table. And I said, I want to put this in schools. Right, I had consulted with a single teacher, so I called. I called some people, and I got three meetings. I got a meeting with the principal from Edison. I got a meeting with the principal from Roosevelt, and I got a meeting. Uh, which so those are both high schools, mm -hmm. and then a meeting with another high school, Highlands High School, right? All in pretty rough areas, right? And so I went to the first principal, and uh, he goes, "You know, I don't know anything about this, uh, and it sounds okay, but you need to talk to the school board." person from my area mm -hmm. and if she's cool with it then i'm cool with it and i thought to myself is this the godfather like do i have to go kiss her ring i mean this guy was like i don't do anything unless this lady blesses it and i just thought 
uh, cool. So I so I left, and then I went to the other school, and the and the principal sat there and he said, "Hey, you know, this sounds like a lot of work, and uh, I'm not telling you you can't do it, but I don't want to I don't want to use any of my time." Or any of my teachers' time, mm-hmm. and if you want to do it after school, use our facilities, and you bring in people, and you do everything, and lock everything up, and we don't have to do anything, then I'll consider it. And I said, "Wow!" <laughs> and by the way, we didn't have this talk; like you didn't hear me say that. <laughs> and then I went to the third principal, and she said, "I don't know anything about programming, but I know it's the future, and mm-hmm. I'll do whatever you need to put it in my school." And I just I walked away so discouraged. I mean, I mean, when I finally found the third one, I thought. Holy moly. And I realized I'm dealing with a system that I know absolutely nothing about. And here I am representing the 8020 Foundation. I'm basically a guy with a big check showing up to your school saying, hey, can I do this thing? And I feel very foolish now in hindsight going, man, I don't know anything about your system. And, and I don't even know if, if this this will work. But that's really when it hit. So break down, break down just briefly the play by play on that for me. I mean, when you when you're running a school, you you are already entrenched with all of the work that is running a school, right? Right, like you're just the day to day teaching events that happen. Yeah, you're which already is faculty with problems, it. and you know who's hundred percent. Yeah. It's it's facility management, it's HR, and it's teaching and student discipline, right? And each one of those things is enormous. Yes, and the more kids you have the more of it you have mm. and it, it it's exponential. So having 50 more kids than someone else is like having a thousand more things to do. <laughs> it's crazy. Seriously. Yeah. You know, a thousand so, more bloody noses. Thousand, right. Like more I, complaints. I, I, yeah. So the bigger your school, like the more potential accidents there are, the more parent conversations yeah. you're going to have, the more. So you can't even break away for a second to consider like, okay, what else? I mean, you do. You do break away and you think, what else could we be doing? What else do I want to invest my time in? What else do I want to um, pour resources into, whether they're financial resources or, ca- or human resources, right? But usually when you're in that brainstorming process, it's you coming up with the idea. It's you thinking, you know what I want right. to, I really want to do because I know what my student needs. So when somebody from the outside approaches you and says, hey, here's this other thing, even if it has money attached to it, lots of times I would be like, hold on a minute. What right. does it really mean I have to do? Like, right. what does it, re- what is it really going, what is me taking that on really going to cost me? Yeah. And what is it going to mean for my, my students and my staff in terms of how do I fit this into the instructional day? Like, if it's something that, that even if it is coding, where do we do that? Do we take it out of the math time? Are we taking right. it out of science time? Right. Is that during the computer class? Then what happens to the thing we just gave up to do that? So even though it might be something really valuable and worthwhile, I still have to go through that whole t- thought process of right. what am I going to give up? Because I have a finite number of hours in a day and I have a finite amount of time with each student. What It means I'm giving something, I'm trading it. Right, right. And until you put yourself in the shoes of that principal, right? All it looks like is you're not cooperating. Oh, this person. And I just think to myself, oh my gosh, like I committed sin number one in the education, you know, philanthropic world, which by the way, I got no problem admitting that because, you know, my whole career is making, you know, blunders like that. Um, But I thought to myself, I know how much money is being spent in this industry. How many other 
programs like that are getting just tossed over the fence, which is the reason why, uh, you know, your credentials as having done it at every level, I think are, are what's so exciting because had I had miseducation, the podcast back then, I probably wouldn't have done it because I would have been like, man, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm more knowledgeable on what's going on behind the scenes. I think you could have done it either way. I think you could have done it, yeah. but you might have done it smarter, right? Totally. Like you might have started yes. with a line of questions that yes. were different. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because I, I, I came in with a completely different attitude, which was, why don't you want this? This is awesome. And I'm going to pay for it, right? And, which is completely, I mean, I could not have had a worse attitude, you know? Uh, as a as a foreign principal, you should have expelled me. You should. <laughs> I should have been. Lorenzo, get out. Get out right now. Yeah, principal voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think that to me, that was really when it went, or that's one of the, that was one of the stories, sorry, that was one of the experiences that really made me intimidated by a system. And actually the problem is when you don't know, when you, when you don't have knowledge about a thing, then you become afraid of it. And when you become afraid of it, then you start throwing stones at it. And I think that this is really what happens to everyone that's not that doesn't come from your background. I think too, like maybe you uncovered or unsurfaced just a little bit of a big misconception that the people have about schools, which is that we're so under-resourced that we're just going to jump at any amount of right. money that gets presented to <laughs> right. us. And I, I think that's a huge misconception yeah. because we actually have a healthy budget that we're working from and we have those big systems in place. We have good programming. We yeah. have good program. I mean, I'm a public school champion, so you're not going to, you're never going to hear me say that our programs aren't good or that we're under-resourced <laughs> or underprivileged. I hate those words. I, yeah. I think that it's how it's what we do with those resources that we have and it's what we do with with the things that we put in place it's not that we're under resourced so i think sometimes people just think well if you're public school you're just going to jump at it at every dollar that you see we have good stuff right and that's what miseducation is about i mean it's about making sure that you know what's happening in the city and you have a voice that can speak to what's happening in the city. If you don't know what's happening, then you don't know what questions to ask, you don't know what conversations to have. That's why we're doing miseducation. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.